Chapter Twelve of The Wooden Horse by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve. The question of the cove was greatly agitating the mind of Pendragon. Meetings had been held, a scheme had been drawn up, and it would appear that the thing was settled. It had been conclusively proved that two rows of lodging houses where the cove now stood would be an excellent thing the town was overcrowded it must spread out in some direction and the cove end was practically the only possible place for spreading the fishery had been declining year by year and it was hinted at the club that it would be rather a good thing if it declined until it vanished altogether the cove was in no sense of the word useful and by its lack of suitable drainage and defective protection from weather it was really something of a scandal it formed as mr grayseed pork butcher and mayor of the town pointed out the most striking contrast with the upward development so marked in pendragon of late years he called the cove an eyesore and nearly proclaimed it an anomaly but was restrained by the presence of his wife a nervous woman who followed her husband with difficulty in his successful career and checked his language when the length of his words threatened their accuracy the town might be said to be at one on these points and there was no very obvious reason why the destruction of the cove should not be proceeded with but still nothing was done it was said by a few that the cove was picturesque and undoubtedly attracted strangers by the reason of its dirty crooked streets and bulging doorways an odd taste they admitted but nevertheless undoubted and of commercial importance on posters pendragon was described as the picturesque abode of old-time manners and customs and Bedeker had a word about charming old-time byways and an old inn the haunt in earlier times of smugglers and freebooters now this was undoubtedly valuable and it would be rather a pity were it swept away altogether perhaps you might keep the inn it might even be made into a museum for relics of old pendragon bits of cornish crosses stones some quaint drawings of the old town now in the possession of mr quilter the lawyer the matter was much discussed at the club and there was no doubt as to the feeling of the majority let the cove go let them replace it with a smart row of red brick villas each with its neat strip of garden and handsome wooden paling harry had learnt to listen in silence he knew for one thing that no one would pay very much attention if he did speak and then as late he had been flung very much into himself and his reserve had grown from day to day people did not want to listen to him well he would not trouble them he felt too as newsom had once said to him that he belonged properly to down along and he knew that he was out of touch with the whole of that modern movement that was going on around him but sometimes as he listened his cheeks burned when they talked of the cove and he longed to jump up and plead its defence but he knew that it would be worse than useless and he held himself in but they didn't know they didn't know it enraged him most when they spoke of it as some lifeless abstract thing some old rubbish heap that offended their sight and then he thought of its beauties of the golden sand and the huddling red and grey cottages clustering over the sea as though for protection you might fancy that the waves slapped them on the back for good fellowship 
when they dashed up against the walls or kissed them for love when they ran in golden ripples and softly lapped the stones on the second night after his visit to dahlia feverel harry went down after dinner to the cove he found those evening hours before going to bed intolerable at the house the others departed to their several rooms and he was suffered to go to his but the loneliness and dreariness made reading impossible and his thoughts drove him out he had lately been often at the inn for this was the hour when it was full and he could sit in a corner and listen without being forced to take any part himself to-night a pedlar and a girl apparently his daughter were entertaining the company and even the melancholy sailor with one eye seemed to share the feeling of gaiety and chuckled solemnly at long intervals it was a scene full of colour the lamps in the window shone golden through the haze of smoke on to the black beams of the ceiling the dust-red brick of the walls and floor and the cavernous depths of the great fireplace sitting cross-legged on the table in the centre of the room was the pedlar a little dark beetle-browed man and at his side were his wares his pack flung open and cloths of green and gold and blue and red flung pell-mell at his side leaning against the table her hands on her hips was the girl dark like her father tall and flat-chested with a mass of black hair flung back from her forehead no one knew from what place they had come nor whither they intended to go such a visit was rare enough in these days of trains and the little man's reticence was attacked again and again but ever unsuccessfully there were perhaps twenty sailors in the room and they sat or stood by the fireplace watching and listening harry slipped in and took his place by newsome in the corner i will sing said the girl she stood away from the table and flung up her head she looked straight into the fire and swayed her body to the time of her tune her voice was low so that men bent forward in order that they might hear and the tune was almost a monotone her voice rising and falling like the beating of the sea with the character of her words she sang of a cornish pirate coppinger cruel coppinger and of his deeds by land and sea of his daring and his cleverness and his brutality and the terror that he inspired and at last of his pursuit by the king's cutter and his utter vanishing no man knew where but gradually as her song advanced coppinger was forgotten and her theme became the sea she spoke like one possessed and her voice rose and fell like the wind all time and place were lost harry felt that he was unbounded by tradition of birth or breeding and he knew that he was absolutely as one of these others with him in the room that he felt that call of those old gods just as they did the girl ceased and the room was silent through the walls came the sound of the sea in the fire was the crackling of the coals and down the great chimney came a little whistle of the wind a mighty fine poem tis for sure said the white-bearded sailor solemnly mostly wonderful true he sighed there's changed times he said the girl sat on the table at her father's side watching them seriously she flung her arms behind her head and then suddenly i can dance too she said they pulled the table back and watched her it was something quite simple and unaffected 
not perhaps in any great way dancing but having that quality so rarely met with of being exactly right and suited to time and place her arms moved in ripples like the waves of the sea every part of her body seemed to join in the same motion but quietly with perfect tranquillity without any sense of strain or effort the golden lamps the coloured cloths the red brick floor made a background of dazzling colour and her black hair escaped and fell in coils over her neck and shoulders suddenly she stopped there that's all she said binding her hair up again with quick fingers she walked over to the sailors and talked to them with perfect freedom and ease at last she stayed by the handsomest of them a dark well-built young fellow who put his arm around her waist and shared his drink with her harry as he watched them felt strangely that it was for him a scene of farewell that it was for the last time that the place was to offer him such equality or that he himself would be in a position to accept it he did not know why he had this feeling perhaps it was the talk of the club about the cove or his own certain conviction that matters at the house were rapidly approaching a crisis yes his own protests were of no avail things must move and perhaps after all it were better that they should bethel came in and as usual joined the group at the fire without a word he looked at the peddler curiously and then seemed to recognize him then he went up to him and soon they were in earnest conversation it grew late and at the stroke of midnight newsom rose to shut up the house i will go back with you bethel said to harry and they walked to the door together for a moment harry turned back the girl was bending over the sailor her arms were around his neck and his head was tilted back to meet her mouth the peddler was putting his wares into his pack again but some pieces of yellow and blue silk had escaped him and lay on the floor at his feet down the street three of the sailors were tramping home and the chorus of a chanty died away as they turned the corner the girl the peddler the colours of the room the vanishing song remained with harry to the end of his life for that moment marked a period as he walked up the hill he questioned bethel about the peddler oh i had met him he said vaguely one knows them all you know but it is difficult to remember where he is one of the last of his kind and an amusing fellow enough but he sighed i am out of sorts to-night my kite broke do you know trojan there are times when one thinks that one has at last got right back to the power i mean of understanding the meaning and truth of things and then suddenly it is all gone and one is just where one was years ago and it seems wasted i tell you man last night i was on the moor and it was alive with something i can't tell you what but i waited and watched i could feel them growing nearer and nearer the air was clearer their voices were louder and then suddenly it was all gone but of course you won't understand none of you why should you you think that i am flying a kite why i am scaling the universe whatever you are doing said harry seriously you are not keeping your family look here bethel you asked me once if i would be a friend of yours well i accepted that and we have been good friends ever since but it really won't do this kind of thing i mean scaling the universe is all very well if you are a single man then it is your own lookout but you are married you have people depending on you and they will soon be starving bethel burst out laughing
they've got you trojan they've got you he cried i knew it would come sooner or later and it hasn't taken long three weeks and you're like the rest of them no you mustn't talk like that really tell me i'm a damned fool no good an absolutely rotten type of fellow and it's all true enough but you must accept it at that at least i'm true to my type which is more than the rest of them are the hypocrites and as to my family well of course i'm sorry but they're happy enough and know me too well to have any hope of ever changing me no of course i don't want to preach i'm the last man to tell anyone what they should do seeing the mess that i've made of things myself but look here bethel i like you i count myself a friend and what are friends for if they're not to speak their minds oh that's all right then go on i'll listen he resigned himself with a humorous submission as though he were indulging the opinions of a child well it isn't right you know it isn't really i don't want to tell you that you're a fool or a rotter because you aren't but that's just what makes it so disappointing for anyone who cares about you you're letting all your finer self go you're becoming uh, what they say you are a waster of course finding yourselves all right every man ought to do that but you have no right to throw off all claims as completely as you've done life isn't like that we've all got our land of promise and just in order that it may remain we are never allowed to reach it whilst you are lying on your back on the moor your wife and daughter are killing themselves in order to keep the home together i say that it is not fair oh come trojan bethel protested is that quite fair on your side things are all right you know they like it better they do really why if i were to stay at home and try to work they'd think i was going to be ill besides i couldn't not at an office or anything like that it isn't my fault really but it would kill me now if i couldn't get away when i want to not having liberty would be worse than death ah that's yourself said harry that's selfish why don't you think of them you can't let things go on as they are man you must get something to do i'm damned if i will bethel stopped short and stretched his arms wide over the moor it isn't as if it would do them any good and it would kill me why one is deaf and blind and dumb as soon as one has work to do i'm a child you know i've never grown up and of course i hadn't any right to marry i don't know now why i did and all you people you grown-ups with your businesses and difficult pleasures and noisy feasts of course you can't understand what these things mean only a few of you who sit with folded hands and listen can now know what it is i saw a picture once some people feasting in a forest and suddenly a little fawn jumped from a tree onto their table and waited for them to play with him but some were eating and some drinking and some talking scandal and they did not see him only a little boy and an old man they were doing nothing just dreaming and they saw him oh i tell you the dreamer has his philosophy and creed like the rest of you that's all very well cried harry but it's a case of bread and butter you will be bankrupt if you go on as you are oh no bethel laughed providence looks after the dreamers something always happens i know something will happen now we are on the edge of some good fortune i can feel it the man was incorrigible there was no doubt of it but harry had something further to say well i want you to let me take a deeper interest in your affairs may i ask your daughter to marry me what 
mary bethel stopped and shouted why that's splendid of course that's what providence has been intending all this time the very thing my dear fellow and he put his arm on harry's shoulder there's no one i'd rather give my girl to but it's nothing to do with me really she'll know her mind and tell you what she feels about it dear me just to think of it he broke out into continuous chuckles all the way home and seemed to regard the whole affair as a great joke harry left him shouting at the moon he had scarcely meant to speak of it so soon but the thought of her struggle and the knowledge of her father's utter indifference decided matters he went back to the house determining on an interview in the morning mary meanwhile had been spending an evening that was anything but pleasant she had been going through her accounts and was horrified at what she saw they were badly overdrawn most of the shops had refused them further credit and the little income that came to them could not hope to cover one half of their expenses what was to be done ruin and disgrace stared them in the face they might borrow but there was no one to whom she could go they must of course give up their little house and go into rooms but that would make very little difference she looked at it from every point of view and could think of no easier alternative she puzzled until her head ached and the room misty with figures seemed to swim round her she felt cruelly alone and her whole soul cried out for harry he would help her he would tell her what to do she knew now that she loved him with all the strength that was in her that she had always loved him from the first moment that she had known him she remembered her promise to him that she would come and ask for his help if she really needed it well perhaps she would in the end but now at least she must fight it out alone the first obvious thing was that her parents must know that they would be of any use was not to be expected but at least they must realize on what quicksands their house was built they were like two children with no sense whatever of serious consequences and penalties and they would not of course realize that they were face to face with a brick wall of debts and difficulties and that there was no way over but they must be told on the next morning after breakfast mary penned her mother into the little drawing-room and broached the subject mrs bethel knew that something serious was to follow and sat on the edge of her chair looking exactly like a naughty child convicted of a fault she was wearing a rather faded dress of bright yellow silk and little yellow shoes which she poked out from under her dress every now and again and regarded with a complacent air they are really not so shabby mary my dear not nearly so shabby as the blue ones and a good deal more handsome don't you think so my dear but you say you want to talk about something so i'll be quiet only if you wouldn't mind being just a little quick because there are really so many things to be done this morning that it puzzles me how yes mother i know but there is something i want to say i won't be long only it's rather important yes dear only don't scold you look as if you were going to scold i can always tell by that horrid line you have dear in your forehead i know i've done something i oughtn't to but what it is unless it's those red silks i bought at dixon's on friday and they were so cheap only no mother it's nothing you've done it's rather what i've done or all of us we are all in the same boat it's my managing i suppose anyhow i've made a mess of it and we're very near the end of the rope 
there doesn't seem any outlook anywhere we're overdrawn at the bank they won't give us credit in the town and i don't see where any's to come from oh it's money well my dear of course it is provoking such a horrid thing to have to worry about but really i'm quite relieved i thought it was something i'd done you'd quite frightened me and i'm glad you don't mind about the red silks because it really was tempting with no dear that's all right but this is serious i've come to the end and i want you to help me will you just go through the books with me and see if anything can be done i'm so tired and worried i've been going at them so long that i dare say i've muddled it it mayn't be quite so hopeless as i've made out the books my dear mary mrs bethel looked at her daughter pathetically you know that i've no head for figures why when mother died at home we were in chertsey then frank and doris and i and i tried to manage things you know it was really too absurd i used to make the most ridiculous mistakes and frank said that the village people did just what they liked with me and i remember old mrs blankenship charging me for eggs after the first month at quite an outrageous rate because well yes mother i know but two heads are better than one and i am really hopelessly puzzled to know what to do mary got up and went over to her mother and put her arm around her you see dear it is serious there's no money at all less than none and i don't know where we are to turn there's no outlook at all i'm afraid that it's no use appealing to father no use and so it's simply left for us two to do what we can it's frightening always doing it alone and i thought you would help me well of course mary dear i'll do what i can no i'm afraid that it would be no good appealing to your father it's strange how very little sense he's ever had of money of the value of it i remember in the first week that we were married he bought some book or other and we had to go without quite a lot of things i was angry then but i've learnt since it was our first quarrel she sighed it was always mrs bethel's method of dealing with any present problem to flee into the happy land of reminiscence and to stay there until the matter had comfortably or otherwise settled itself but i shouldn't worry she said looking up at her daughter things always turn up and besides she added you might marry dear marry mary looked at her mother sharply mrs bethel looked a little frightened well you will you know dear probably and perhaps well if he had money mother she sprang up from her chair and faced her with flaming cheeks do you mean to say that they are talking about it they who it was only mrs morrison the other day at tea-time said that she thought mrs morrison that hateful woman discussing me mother how could you let her what did she say why only i wish you wouldn't look so cross dear it was nothing really only that mr trojan obviously cared a good deal and it would be so nice if how dare she mary cried again and you think it too mother that i would go on my knees to him to take us out of our trouble that i would sweep his floors if he would help the family oh it's hateful hateful she flung herself into a chair by the window and burst into tears mrs bethel stared at her in amazement well upon my word my dear one never knows how to take you why it wasn't as if she'd said anything only that it would be rather nice she paused in utter bewilderment and seemed herself a little inclined to cry 
at this moment the door opened mary sprang up who is it she asked uh, mr henry trojan miss would like to come up if it wouldn't no no tell him jane that but he had followed the servant and appeared in the doorway smiling i knew you wouldn't mind my coming unconventionally like this he said it's a terrible hour in the morning but i felt sure that i would catch you he had seen at once that there was something wrong and he stopped confusedly in the doorway but mrs bethel came forward smiling nervously oh please mr trojan do come in we always love to see you you know we do you're one of our real friends one of our best and it's only too good of you to spare time to come round and see us but, but i am busy it's quite true one is you know in the morning but i don't think that mary has anything very important immediately i think she might stop and talk to you and in a confusion of tittered apologies she vanished away but he stood in the doorway waiting for mary to speak she sat with her head turned to the window and struggled to regain her self-command they had been talked about in the town she could imagine how it had gone oh the bethel girl yes after the trojan money and doing it cleverly too she'll hook him all right he's just the kind of man oh the hatefulness of it what's up he came forward a little twisting his hat in his hand nothing she turned round and tried to smile indeed she almost laughed for he looked so ridiculous standing there like a great schoolboy before the headmaster his hat turning in his hands or rather like a collie plunging out of the water and ready to shake himself on all and sundry as she looked at him she knew that she loved him and that she could never marry him because pendragon thought that she had hooked him for his money yes there is something what is it he had come forward and taken her hands but she drew them away slowly and sat down on the sofa i'm tired she said a little defiantly that's all you know if you will come and call at such dreadfully unconventional hours you mustn't expect to find people with all the paint on i never put mine on till lunch no it's no good he answered gravely you're worried and it's wrong of you not to tell me you are breaking your promise i made no promise she said quickly you did that day on the moor we were to tell each other always if anything went wrong it was a bargain well nothing's wrong i am tired bothered a bit the old thing there's more to be bought than we're able to pay for i've come with a proposition he answered gravely just a suggestion which i don't suppose you'll consider but you might it is that you should marry me it had come so suddenly that it took her by surprise the colour flew into her cheeks and then ebbed away again leaving her whiter than ever that he should have actually said the words made her heart beat furiously and there was a singing in her ears so that she scarcely heard what he said he paused a moment and then went on oh i know it's absurd when we've only known each other such a little time and i've been telling myself that again and again but it's no good i've tried to keep it back but i simply couldn't help it it's been too strong for me he paused again but she said nothing and he went on i ought to tell you about myself so that you should know because i'm really a very rotten type of person i've never done anything yet and i don't suppose i ever shall i've been a failure at most things and i'm stupid i never read the right sort of books or look at the right sort of pictures or like the right sort of music 
and even at the sort of things that most men are good at i'm nothing unusual i can't write you know a bit and in my letters i express myself like a boy of fifteen and then i'm old quite middle-aged although i feel young again so that all these things are against me and it's really a shame to ask you he paused again and then he said timidly bending towards her could you ever do you think give me just a little hope i wouldn't want you to right away at once but any time after you'd thought about it she looked up at him and saw that he was shaking from head to foot her pride was nearly overcome and she wanted to fling herself at his feet and kiss his hands and never let him go but she remembered that pendragon had said that she was catching him for his money so by a great effort she stayed where she was and answered quietly even coldly i am more honoured mr trojan than i can tell you by your asking me it is much very much more than i deserve and indeed i'm not in the least worthy of it i'm sorry but i'm afraid it's no good you see i'm such a stupid sort of girl i muddle things so it would never do for me to attempt to manage a big place like the flutes and then i don't think i shall ever marry i don't think i am that sort of girl you have been an awfully good friend to me and i'm more grateful to you than i can say i can't tell you how much you have helped us all during these last weeks but i'm afraid i must say no the light from the window fell on her hair and the blue of her dress a little gold pin at her throat flashed and sparkled his eye caught it and was fixed there no don't say actually no he was stammering please please th think about it after i've gone away I, I will come again another day when you've thought about it i'm so stupid in saying things i can't express myself but miss bethel mary i love you i love you there isn't much to say about it i can't express it any better but please you mustn't say no like that i would be as good a husband to you as i could dear always i'm not the sort of fellow to change no she was speaking quickly as though she meant it to be final no really i i mean it i can't i can't you see one has to feel certain about it hasn't one and i don't not quite like that but you are the very best friend that i have ever had don't let it spoil that perhaps he said slowly it's my age you don't feel that you could with a man old enough to be your father but i'm young younger than robin but i won't bother you about it of course if, if you are certain he rose and stumbled a moment over the chair as he passed to the door oh i'm so sorry she cried i and then she had to turn to hide her face in her heart there was a struggle such as she had never faced before her love called her a fool and told her that she was flinging her life away that the ship of her good fortune was sailing from her and it would be soon beyond the horizon but her pride reminded her of what they had said that she had laid traps for him for his money i am sorry she said again but it must be only friendship but she had forgotten that although her back was turned he was toward the mirror he could see her her white face and quivering lips he sprang towards her oh mary try me i will love you better than any man in god's world always i will live for you and work for you and die for you it was more than she could bear she could not reason now she was only resolved that she would not give way and she pushed past him blindly her head hanging 
the drawing-room door closed he stared dully in front of him then he picked up his hat and left the house she had flung herself on her bed and lay there motionless she heard the door close his steps on the stairs and then the outer door she sprang to the window and then moved by some blind impulse rushed to the head of the stairs there were steps and mrs bethel's voice penetrated the gloom mary mary where are you she crept back to her room he walked back to the flutes with the one fact ever before him that she had refused him he realized now that it had been his love for her that had kept him during these weeks sane and brave without it he could not have faced his recent troubles and all the desolate sense of outlawry and desolation that had weighed on him so terribly now he must face it alone with the knowledge that she did not love him that she had told him so it was his second rejection the second flinging to the ground of all his defences and walls of protection robin had rejected him mary had rejected him and he was absolutely horribly alone he thought for a moment of dahlia feverel and of her desertion well she had faced it pluckily he would do the same life could be hard but he would not be beaten his method of consolation his pulling of himself together it was all extremely commonplace but then he was an essentially commonplace man and saw things unconfusedly one at a time with no entanglement of motives or complicated searchings for origins he had accepted the fact of his rejection by his family with the same clear-headed indifference to side issues as he accepted now his rejection by mary he could not understand those artist fellows with their complications life for him was perfectly straightforward but the gods had not done with his day on the way to his room he was met by claire father is worse she said quickly he took a turn this morning and now perhaps he will not live through the night dr turner and dr crail are both with him he asked for you a little while ago she passed down the stairs the quiet self-composed woman of every day it was characteristic of a trojan that the more agitated outside circumstances became the quieter he or she became harry was trojan in this and as was customary with him he put aside his own worries and dealt entirely with the matter at hand already over the house a change was evident in the absolute stillness there could be felt the presence of a crisis and the monotonous flap of a blind against some distant window sounded clearly down the passages in sir jeremy's room there was perfect stillness the two doctors had gone downstairs and the nurse was alone he asked for you sir she whispered he is unconscious again now harry sat down by the bed and waited the air was heavy with scents of medicine and the drawn blinds flung grey ghost-like shadows over the bed the old man seemed scarcely changed the light had gone from his eyes and his hand lay motionless on the sheets and his lips moved continually in a never-ceasing murmur suddenly he turned and his eyes opened the nurse moved forward where's harry he waved his arm feebly in the air i'm here father harry said quietly oh that's good he sank back on the pillows again I i'm going to die you know I i'm lonely it's damned gloomy got to die don't want to but got to he felt for his son's hand found it and held it 
then he passed off again into half-conscious sleep and harry watched his hand in his father's and his thoughts with the girl and the boy who had rejected him rather than with the old man who had accepted him End of chapter twelve